his betrothed, who was with child. Some translations say great with child. Uh, there's a paraphrase, I think the New Living Translation, that says was obviously pregnant. I like that one. That's pretty clear. So they had to travel about 100 miles. Now, that would be the same distance, if you're thinking spatially, uh, from Warsaw to Indianapolis. So let me ask all of you ladies who have ever been pregnant and had a baby before, have any of you women almost ready to give birth ever wanted to go on a 100-mile hike right before giving birth? Probably not. I, I can't answer that. Um, or even a bumpy ride on a donkey. Did that sound fun too? If that happened. Probably not. And part of their fear was not just a, an uncomfortable ride or walk, but the possibility of giving birth on the side of the road with no assistance. Uh, this was a terrifying prospect here. And so this is not something that they would have wanted to choose to do. But God and his sovereignty needs to get this couple from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And there's only one way to do it, to put this census on the heart of the emperor. And he did it. And he got them there. And they trusted him. They trusted him. And so I want to ask you at this point now, have you ever felt insignificant? I mean, who are we? We're, you or I, we're not the greatest people in the world, the most influential, the most powerful people in the world. And in a world of 8 billion people, who are, who are we? Have you ever felt insignificant or maybe insignificant to God that he should care about us? And I want to tell you right now, I want to proclaim as we look at this story, do not be disheartened because here's Joseph and Mary. Their part of the story shows that God wields empires to bless his people. And none of us is insignificant to God. I can assure you that. Praise God. Amen? Joseph and pregnant Mary arrive in Bethlehem then, and lo and behold, the town is so packed because of the census that there is no room for them to rent, and they end up in a place where the animals are kept, whether that's a stable, usually. Uh, back then, it was more a cave or a place cut out of a stone where they put the animals. We're not exactly sure of the location, but it's a place where the animals are kept, and here they are. Jesus' actual birth is described in verses 6 and 7. Read those with me. And when they, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Here it is, the incarnation of God. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths. This is God Almighty. It's a baby, one of us, the incarnation. Laid him in a manger. Because there was no place for them in the inn. Let's focus on that last statement right there. There's no place for them in the inn. Now, couldn't God, who just moved an emperor to make a decree for all of this to come about, couldn't he have provided a room to rent in a hotel for his son to be born in? Could he have done that? Yes, of course he could have done that. But it wasn't his will. God's will as 2 Corinthians 8 says, that though Christ was rich, for our sake he became poor. That was his will. And his will is that we would follow in his humility. So he was born in a stable and laid his, in his first throne a feeding trough for animals. And the greatest gift of all time, the first Christmas gift, 
was wrapped in swaddling cloths. Have you ever wondered why do we give wrapped presents at Christmas time? I mean, it's fun. We enjoy it. It's a thrill. But why? Where did that tradition ever become a practice at all? When we, when we walk by a Christmas tree, which you will probably in your living room, and see a stack of Christmas presents, it's a great time. But where did that come from? How is that even a thing? And here's the answer. Because they represent Jesus. They represent Jesus, the greatest gift ever given. God gave himself to be one of us, to save us so we can know him and be made alive, live eternally. He became a human so that he could pay for humanity's sins. And here he was. Here's the story when it happened. And he was wrapped in swaddling cloths, the first and greatest Christmas present. So we wrap presents to represent Jesus who was wrapped and given to us. That's neat to know, isn't it? And I think it's neat to know that even people who don't know about Jesus yet or just hate Jesus, here they are every Christmas proclaiming Jesus, the greatest gift given to mankind. So boys and girls and families, everyone, every time we see a wrapped present, from now on, we need to think of Jesus. We need to think of Jesus, the greatest gift, the reason for all these other wrapped presents. Now, there's much more to know about this gift, the incarnation. So let's continue. The next four won't be quite as long as this one. But number two, we get to this one. The incarnation means Jesus was not like us. He was fully God. He was fully God. Again, we all had a birthday, but we are not God, right? We were not miraculously born of a virgin. That is a miracle. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah prophesied that that would happen. In verse, chapter 7, verse 14 of Isaiah, it says, The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and we will call him Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. That was the prophecy, and it was all going to come from a virgin birth. The virgin birth is important as it allows Jesus to be fully God and fully human at the same time. Here's how that worked. Here's why that's so important. Jesus' physical body he received from Mary, but his eternal holy nature and spirit essence was from God through the Holy Spirit. So in the virgin birth, the immaterial... That's the spirit and the material, that's Mary's womb, intersect, and they're both involved. Jesus was God, as a result, in the flesh. The famous newsman Larry King, this is a well-known story about the virgin birth. Maybe you used to watch his interviews. He's not doing them anymore. But one time he was asked, if you could inter interview anyone in the history of the world, who would it be? He said, Jesus Christ. It's a good answer. He was not a believer. So when they asked Larry, if you could ask him one question, what, what would that be? Larry said, I would like to ask him if he was indeed virgin born. The answer to that question would define history for me. Now he's right. Larry King was not often right, but he's right here. He's right that this is what makes Jesus unlike anyone who has ever lived or who will ever live. And it changes history. All of history hinges on this fact. He was born by a virgin, 
And that makes, his, makes him unlike anyone else because he's fully God. How? Because, again, the immaterial came from God, and the sin nature is passed through the Father. And he had no sin. He was God with no sin, and yet he was human. What does the Bible say about this? Again, Matthew 1.23 Behold, the virgins shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. There's the repeating of that Old Testament prophecy, which means God with us. John 1.14, a, a classic incarnation verse here. Check this out again with fresh eyes. And the word became flesh. The word who was with God, the word who was God, became flesh on Christmas. Merry Christmas. And dwelt among us. Now, and we have seen God's glory because they have seen Jesus. Now, check this out. This is a good uh, time to actually take advantage of the Spanish translation that's always on our slides because I want you to notice the translation for the word flesh. What is it? Carne. You see that. For our Spanish-speaking brothers and sisters, what does the word carne mean? What is it? Meat. Very good. You probably ordered it at a Mexican restaurant. Meat. So here's the spirit essence of God, and this is the great news of the incarnation. Became meat, like we are. Flesh. And dwelt among us, which that word is actually tabernacled among us, the animal skin tent, is now Jesus, and he's among us. He's become us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Colossians 2.9 summarizes all this succinctly and powerfully. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So let me ask you something, adults and kids in the room. Was Jesus God? Yes. Was he really God? Was he fully God? Yes. Unlike us. Now that makes you wonder then, was Jesus really fully a human? And that's point number three of this great gift from God. The incarnation means Jesus was like us. He was fully human. The baby born in Bethlehem was fully human. The song, No Crying He Makes, yeah, it's a great song, favorite Christmas classic, but it's not true. He was a regular baby, a human baby, fully human. Jesus was a man. He was not just a spirit who appeared like a human, that has been taught over the centuries. That's a heresy. God was not fooling us with a trick. He was fully a human just like us. Jesus is the man who is God. What does the Bible say again? We'll just look at a few of many, many places. Romans 8, 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. You see what God's doing here. This is amazing truth. This gift from God to us. Colossians 1.22, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Praise God what Jesus has done and could only do if he's fully God and fully human. He had to be flesh and blood like us. And, the Bible continues, as a human, he was subject to the same world that we live in, the same fallen world, the same pains, the same sufferings, and the same temptations. 
The book of Hebrews makes a big deal of this. Let's just look at a couple verses. Hebrews 2.18, and we get so much assurance out of our relationship with God through Christ from these passages. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He is able to help us. We're tempted to do wrong and harm and sin all the time. Jesus is able to help us because he has been tempted like us and suffered like us. Hebrews 4.15 goes on. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He lived the perfect life, which was required for the sacrifice for sin. But yes, everything that you feel, God knows about it firsthand because Jesus went through it all. The great theologian John Stott took it to the fullest extent. He said, he said, in a world filled with suffering and pain, I could not fathom worshiping a God who was immune to it. Now that's critical because in so many other religions, the concept of God, Almighty God, coming to the earth, it's such a mess. The earth is so deplorable. Maybe God would send an angel. A lot of religions say that. But he's certainly not going to come down and get involved and take on our sin and give us his righteousness. Christianity is not like any other religion. The story of the incarnation is that he did do exactly that. Jesus can say now to us, actually, I do understand what you're going through. I am your high priest who can sympathize with everything you're going through. And I'm there. I'm with you always was his promise. So when you're suffering, talk to Jesus. When you're hurting, talk to Jesus. When you're struggling, talk to Jesus. And when you're being tempted to sin, talk to Jesus. He's there to help you. And he does. He intercedes for us. He understands us because he entered our story as one of us and gives us that promise. This is the incarnation, the great gift of God becoming one of us. But what good is all of this that we've talked about so far if we as sinners cannot be in the presence of God and live, if we cannot have a relationship with God because we have sin? We are sinners. That's bad news. The good news is what Jesus did for that. This is point number four, the incarnation. The incarnation means that we have a way to God. I mean, God, God is so immense. It blows our minds. He is so good. He is totally good. He is the definition of good and the source of all good. And he cannot be in the presence of sin. He cannot have a relationship with sin. Sin is totally bad. So in our sin, we cannot overcome the gap that's between us and God, although every other religion says we can. We can work our way there, and hopefully the good outweighs the bad. It doesn't work that way. One little sin blows the whole thing. But here's the goodness of God through Christ. The baby born in Bethlehem came to bridge that gap. Totally bridge that gap. And we walk over that to God, to a relationship with God, on his payment for our sin, on his sacrifice, on his perfect life. 
What does the Bible say about this? John 3.16, let's just go to the most well-known verse in the Bible, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son for this. Why? That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Nothing else offers you that good news. First Peter goes on to, to describe this a little bit in more detail. First Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his what? In his body on the cross. He's human. He's God. That what? That we might die to sin and live in righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Jesus died the death that we should have died on the cross to give us the opportunity to receive eternal life. And to do this, we have a checklist here. It couldn't have been possible unless Jesus was fully God. Was Jesus fully God? Check. We got that. The sacrifice had to be perfect. I mean, perfect as only God is. Was Jesus perfect? Check. We got that. The sacrifice had to be infinite as only God is in order to cover all humans. Was Jesus infinite God? Yes. Check. We've got salvation. We can become spiritually alive. We can know God. We can fellowship him. We're in his family. The baby born in Bethlehem, the baby that made angels sing, was a baby like never before or since. This is Jesus. This is the reason for Christmas. This is what it's all about. He was fully God and yet fully human. He came as a teacher. He came as a model. He came as a sacrifice for all mankind that his life and death would bridge the gap between us and God so we can know God and be in his family. We need to put our faith in him to cross that bridge. He's very clear. He's done this for us. We need to respond. Believing in him, trusting in him, crying to him, turning to him. That's what repentance is. To turn away from ourselves and the world, turn towards Christ, and walk across the bridge and live. And he'll say, come on across and welcome my child to your new life in me. Now, we could stop here, and a lot of Christmas messages do, because, hey, we've arrived at salvation. We've arrived at the gospel. This is why Jesus came. This is the best news ever. It's the best gift ever. But Jesus doesn't stop here, and neither should a message like this. Jesus' incarnation doesn't stop at our salvation. There's more to it. We have the blessed privilege now to continue his bodily mission. And that's point number five, is that the incarnation means we share Jesus' mission. And here we get to the teaching of the three levels of incarnation. Now, this is exciting teaching. It involves us. This is a life changer when we get this, when we grasp this. We receive Jesus, and then we live to bring others to that same knowledge and opportunity to receive him themselves. So here are the three levels of incarnation. The first is God with skin on. This is everything we've talked about so far. Spirit essence of God becoming human, the incarnation, putting on flesh to be our model teacher and savior. This is God taking on the flesh to become one of us. He is the tabernacle dwelling with us, but this is not the end. The Bible teaches a second level of incarnation. Now the taking on of flesh is that Christ is now in our flesh through the Holy Spirit. We've heard we are the body of Christ. We've heard we are the hands and feet of Christ. 
This is it. Now, the second level of the incarnation is Christ in us through the Holy Spirit. Once we've received Jesus' gift of salvation, the Holy Spirit of God comes to reside in us, in our skin, and he lives in us and he works through us. We are Jesus' body. Upwards of two billion people in the world, if their salvation is real, the Holy Spirit, we are the hands and feet of Jesus, Jesus' body, incarnated in our flesh. Jesus promised this in John 14 and 16, that it would be, remember when he was standing there in the flesh, and he told his disciples, it's better that I leave you. And they're like, well, we can't comprehend why it would be better for you to leave us. But here's what he says, it's better that I leave you, because in the flesh I can only be in one room at one time. But look at John 14, 16, and 17. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And when this happens, we change from being spiritually dead to children of God, alive, and dwelt by God the Holy Spirit. Now, that's happened to me, but I am still as human as ever. You can ask my family, some of which are sitting there in the second row. I'm as human as ever, but Christ lives in me now. The Apostle Paul makes much of this. He builds up a lot of truth in his teachings on Christ in us, the glory of that and how much it helps us and how important that is to have Christ permanently fellowshipping with, with me and within me through his Holy Spirit. I'm spiritually alive because he's there. But that leads us to the third level of incarnation. The question is, how did I come to have Christ in me? How did I come to hear about Jesus? I was not alive in the first century. I'm not that old. So I did not know Jesus personally. I didn't have the ability to meet him and talk to him and hear his truth. No, my opportunity came to know him and receive him came through the third level of incarnation. That is us to the world as ambassadors of Christ. This is where a message like this ends. The full incarnation is us going out into the world as ambassadors. Let me define ambassador. That's still a big thing. I mean, every country has ambassadors uh, in, their, in their government ranks. Let me define ambassador. An ambassador is a person of high rank employed by a government to represent it and transact its business with some other power. So if I was an ambassador of the United States of America, I could be sent by our government to some other country, and I would represent the authority and the voice of the United States of America to do this business interaction. God calls us ambassadors of Christ. He, we have his authority. We have his truth. We have something that everyone needs and really wants in their soul and is the answer to their spiritual life and eternal life. We have it. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says this, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. And here's our message. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That is the third level of incarnation. My opportunity to come to Christ and live, to be born again and filled with his Holy Spirit and set for eternity and have all of his power now for spiritual life. My opportunity for all of that came through ambassadors 
First and foremost are my parents, Larry and Linda Overstreet, who taught me the gospel many, many times. And I finally understood it and repented and received it. Also, my Sunday school teachers who taught me faithfully God's word and the, and the gospel. My teachers right here at Warsaw Christian School. Yes, I am an alumnus of this fine institution, which is now called Lakeland Christian Academy. Class of 86, right here. Graduated from this stage. The carpet was different. The orange pews were still here. That window was, was there, though. And the faithful teachers of this school, and they're still faithful, are teaching the Word of God, teaching the gospel of God. Christian media from influences like Christian music, movies, just all these data. The faithful Christians proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the final level of incarnation, and that's for all of us. That is our mission. That is Jesus' mission. He shared with us. We're on it. You have those people in your lives, too, that have poured into you. And now the question for us all is who, and with the rest of our lives, can we pour into and proclaim Jesus, be reconciled to God through Jesus? That is the purpose that Jesus has for us all. That's why he saved us, to be that for others. He saved us to be rivers, not puddles, with this great news. Let me just ask you, are you a river with the gospel of Jesus, or are you a puddle? Don't stay a puddle any longer. Get it out there. The good news of Jesus, the incarnation. Just to review, Jesus is unlike us. He was fully God. Jesus is like us. He's fully human. Because he came here, we have a way to God. And all who receive him have the best mission in the world to tell others about him. So to get us started here, are three next steps that we can all take. Let's all take these regarding this Christmas gift from God. We'll have others as the weeks go on. But regarding this Christmas gift from God, number one, receive God's greatest gift ever given. Receive it. He's given it to us. He's offering it to you. You need to receive it, this gift of salvation. Why not make this Christmas the time that you receive this best gift ever given? If you haven't done that before, this can be the day, the week, the month. Don't wait, though. You're not promised tomorrow or even the rest of today. By repenting of your sin and trusting in him and turning to Jesus and living. Would you do that today? If you need to talk to somebody, you can write that on your communication card or come see me. After the service, I will probably go out by the resource center and um, love to pray and talk to you about that. Open the word of God. Now, second, here's a tangible one. I, this is a challenge to every time you see a Christmas gift for the rest of the season, let every gift remind you of Jesus. He and he alone is the one you worship at Christmas. A lot of traditions point to Jesus. A lot of traditions distract you from Jesus. This is a challenge to only focus on the ones that point you to Jesus. Now, that idea with the Christmas gifts and things um, came out of this book, and there's a lot of other Christmas teachings, and they, this is the Advent devotional book that we sell at the Resource Center, and it's blessed our family over, uh, well, I think 11 years now, and um, I want to pass that on to you. We're, we're selling them out there, uh, and it starts today. The 28 days leading up to Christmas Eve starts today. It's a great journey. Let's worship Jesus. 
Every gift remind you of Jesus. And then number three, share this gift with everyone. And to do that, prayer is always where that starts. And so again, we pass these down the rows. Last week, if you weren't here, would you fill this out? If you're sitting in the middle, would you pass these down the rows? There's a large card and a small card. And here's how they work. Prayer is where this begins. It says, these are the people God has placed in my life who need to know Jesus. So write their names down. On the big card, these are people that are in your life. And then write their names down and your name on the bottom on the small card. You put the big card in the offering box. And you take the small card and pray over those every day and see what God does. And over these three years, we've been doing this. We've seen people. We rejoice. The people I wrote on my card, they've come to Christ, and we rejoice. So let's see what God does when we pray. Pass those down and fill both of those out however many names God leads on your heart. And next week, you've heard about the concert of prayer, the Christmas concert of prayer. Tyler even called it one of his favorite things we do. I like that. I love it. He gets it. Right after this service, next Sunday, we'll eat a little meal real fast and then come back in here and pray for an hour in groups, in small groups all around this room. And we'll pray for these by name. And when it's God's will for them to come to faith in Christ, for the blinders to be removed, they will. This is the most we can do, and I encourage you to, pray, to write those down, turn those in, and come back for the concert of prayer next Sunday. Other things, it doesn't just end there. Now we go on to there, filled by the Spirit of God, because we've prayed, invite people to church, bring your neighbors Christmas cookies, whatever you like to do. That's another favorite of ours. Your small group Christmas caroling, or some other small group project where you're out blessing people and, and teaching people about Jesus. And then fearlessly celebrate Jesus in your conversations. There is no reason for us, of all people, to be cowardly and fearful to talk about Jesus. So this, share this gift with everyone is the final next step. We've got an entire month now uh, to do these things together and to encourage each other. Here are the events. Once again, this slide that, uh, just to let you know what we're doing, our plan for the Christmas season. Here is, again, the next thing. Next week is the concert of prayer. That might be the most important one on there. Then children's Christmas program, December 11th. The kids will be filling the stage. That's awesome. Make sure you invite the grandparents and all the neighbors and, uh, to see all the kids. And then Christmas Eve service uh, we'll have in this room, Christmas Eve at 6 o'clock. And then the next day is Sunday. Do you know how, here's a little trivia question. How often does Christmas land on a Sunday? You don't have to answer that out loud. You might be tempted to say seven years, but, or six years, but there's leap years that mess with it. So guess when the next one, you might be Googling this right now, the next time Christmas lands on a Sunday is not till 2033, 11 years from now. So we got to make this one big, okay? We'll be, a lot of us will still be here in 11 years, and we'll remember this day. But let's make this one big, so we're not going to have a morning service that day, uh, but we are going to have an evening service in the gym, and everyone's invited. I know for us, we're... We're kind of bored by Christmas night at 7 o'clock. Um, think toys are already broken and, you know. So, 7 o'clock, Christmas night in the gym. Lakeland's not meeting that week, so we're able to leave everything up, set up. Uh, so, New Year's Day, we're going to have one combined service in the gym. Everything will already be set up, so we're going to make the most of that at 11 o'clock to ring in the new year together. Whew, this is great. Let's pray and give all these things to God our whole lives. Would you join me? Lord, we are thrilled to be your people, for our families to be 
our households to be just places where we can talk and learn and open the Bible and go through devotionals and, and um, reflect on truths and grow together and learn how to thrive and survive in this world. And, and then our church family is such a gift. We pray for great community, great relationships, great worship this Christmas and forever. But here's where we are right now. Here's the unique opportunity. Lord, I pray we're all faithful as we worship you, as we mature together in all these truths, these realities, as a family and as we engage the world who does want deep down inside to hear about Jesus. We give all these things now in return in our worship to you. In Jesus' name, amen.